in a typical arc of recovery, you'll be sitting down with a therapist at some point. Whether this is someone you searched out on your own or a step-down referral from a residential treatment center, it's important to know what you're trying to get out of these appointments. In this Recovery Arc podcast, we delve deeper into the topic of addiction therapy. My name is Pat Failing. I'm an addiction psychiatrist. I treat patients with drug addiction and alcoholism, finding tactical solutions for lethal problems. You're listening to Recovery Arc. Today as part of our Recovery Arc podcast, I'm very happy to welcome Lindsay Melka to our show. Lindsay is an addiction therapist. She's a licensed professional counselor, and she has many years of experience treating patients with addiction as well as relational and dual diagnosis problems uh, at different forms or different stages in their treatment. Lindsay, welcome to our show. Thank you for having me. So I'm imagining that a standard patient who would want to seek some sort of counseling or therapy would probably find you either online or look you up. Mm -hmm. They would give you a call. What do you think they they tend to seek? So patients who, who call me who have not been they've not been yet in any kind of inpatient treatment, the most common thing that they ask me is whether I know how to assess whether they have a problem or not. So something is going on where they're either drinking a little bit more than they'd like to be, um, they've been taking too many pills that were once prescribed, uh, they're kind of in this in-between place of, of, of not knowing whether it's becoming a problem. Another group of people that often call are people who've had a long period of sobriety and have relapsed and are back to drinking or using again and would like to get into therapy to talk about how they came to relapse. So you must be fielding a fair number of patients who were in structured treatment, so yes. such as, uh, I guess, rehab, residential care. Right. Uh, maybe a level of care a little bit lower than that, like a day treatment program yeah. or something. Yeah. So people who call me who've been in some kind of day treatment or outpatient treatment, um, and this is just my experience. I can't say this is, you know, I don't want to make it a blanket statement, but um, most people who call who've just done outpatient have not been able to remain sober on their own. People who are referred to me out of inpatient or residential treatment centers are typically looking for a continuum of care. They've started to open up an inpatient treatment maybe for the first time, and you know they're, they're, they're a little bit scared about leaving. Oftentimes they call me while they're still in treatment, and we set up an appointment for when they transition out. That's typically the best way to get them on a good path to long-term recovery. To get something going, because I know a, a right. lot of recovery is about sustainability. Yes. So we work very hard to try to get these relationships going, especially a therapeutic relationship. I do want to ask you a little bit about that. On a, a lot of the articles that I build as part of Recovery Arc, we talk a lot about attachment. I think attachment is a big theme yes. in addiction recovery. What do you see from from your patients? So I would say probably what you would not think that I would say, that a lot of my patients or a lot of my clients, as I call them, um, have secure attachments, but they may have had trouble regulating 
their emotions prior to becoming an alcoholic or an addict. I do have patients that definitely have insecure attachments, and a lot of that comes out typically in inpatient treatment before they're referred to me, and our therapy is a continuation of how to maintain healthy relationships, how to maintain healthy boundaries with people, a lot of discussion around learning what codependency is, and most commonly not using people as a replacement for their drug of choice. So that's something common that comes up with attachment. So that's very interesting. I guess, so it sounds like you ha- can have some fairly healthy patients yes. who have things in their life they care about, career, family. Yeah, very much. And they still would develop a significant addiction disorder that's mm-hmm. going to require care. Yes. I don't think having a secure attachment prevents you from addiction. Um, I do think it gives you better odds of not developing an addiction. I think if you have the predisposition for addiction, it gets a little tricky. Something I always, not always, something I, I often see is that people who have relatively healthy lives and develop an addiction seek treatment because the healthy relationships in their lives are no longer healthy. So they reach this point where they are starting to notice that their drug or alcohol problem is affecting their ability to feel safe, to feel trusted, um, to trust others, to continue maintaining healthy relationships. So often getting sober kind of helps them get back on track. Like they have an, a vision or an image in their mind of a healthy way of life. Yes. And this idea that they could return to that yes. from something they knew from their past. Exactly. And people who don't have people who don't have the healthiest backgrounds sometimes and oftentimes learn when they're in treatment in the beginning stages of treatment that they can have relationships and healthy attachments and they want to keep that going. And they're fearful of losing that. And they talk about that often in therapy with me. You know, even bonding with peers in either, you know, the 12-step community, uh, the treatment center that they were in, or just bonding to people in recovery kind of gives them hope that, wow, you know, I can feel good about myself and have real long-lasting relationships, friendships, romantic partnerships, etc. So very interesting, almost like they have this undercurrent of anxiety that they're going to start losing things. Yes. And th- those could be their loved ones or their career mm-hmm. or their sense of their self. Um, if their addiction were to continue smoldering along and, and causing yeah. harm. Yes. I know that there are a lot of treatment providers available. If you go online, you can mm-hmm. find therapists all across the board. What would you recommend to patients? Do you think they, they would benefit from seeing kind of a specialist who does a lot of dedicated addiction therapy? Absolutely. I think that if you're struggling with addiction, or if you think that you have a problem and you might, you know, you might not know if it's a problem, definitely seek out somebody who has experience in treating substance abuse. It's kind of in its own, it's in its own category. I would avoid 
seeking out a therapist who would consider themselves a generalist. Because if you go on, let's say, Psychology Today, which I think is probably the most common um, website used to find a therapist, if you see a therapist with a hundred different specialties, I would steer clear because that's not realistic. Um, it's kind of like master of none. And it seems super common. I, it every, is. every therapist <laughs> is an expert in all conditions. Except and they're I, not. Except they're not. <laughs> Very interesting. You know, I don't want to put therapists down in any way, but I think people are just, you know, it's a business. So if they're advertising their business, they want to make sure to include all of these things that they treat when really it's, in my opinion, I think it's almost unethical. It is unethical. Like, like I don't know anything about eating disorders. I would never advertise that I treat eating disorders. I think that I would be doing the client a serious disservice. There are so many therapists that you can find exactly what you're looking for if you do the research. Do you have any examples of where patients were in, in somewhat uh, done a disservice by their prior therapy? Yes. The t tell us a little bit about this. So in terms of addiction therapy, um, I've had several clients come in, new clients who have had some pretty bad experience working with therapists who claim to have been addiction specialists. A lot of these therapists don't know anything about harm reduction, so it's abstinence only, which is not always the best route. And, and harm reduction, I know we talk a lot about sure. it that on recovery arc, but principles of helping people stay safe, yes, um, helping to prevent some of the most severe or dire consequences of addiction, yes, um, to help give them time, I guess that they can right. they can change it when they're in the right position to change. From the stories I've heard, I think a lot of therapists struggle with clients' ambivalence about getting sober. So you kind of, you have to be there with them. And I hate saying meet them where they're at because it's an overused line, but it's very true in, in, in harm reduction and um, knowing how to help them help themselves. I think a lot of therapists that are misinformed about addiction treatment are very quick to give advice or be very directive. And with addiction treatment, that's doesn't seem to work all that well for a lot. For some, maybe, but not for all. I, I know a therapist really needs to be quite patient with their patients. Um, Very much. <laughs> that seems to be a big thing with addiction treatment. I mean, yes. I have many patients who will relapse, go back to drinking, going back to drug use, and we try to stick with them as best as oh, we yeah, can and, definitely. and not get overly discouraged. If you're getting discouraged as a therapist with, with an addict or, or an alcoholic, um, that, that makes sense might not be your best clientele to work with. Um, and I find with addiction therapists that's not the case. I think it's more so with therapists that claim to be addiction therapists that would tend to give up on their patients or get frustrated when um, someone who's knowledgeable about addiction knows that that's, that's part of the process for a lot of these people that are struggling. They want to stop and they can't, you know, and being patient with them is absolutely uh, a huge factor in getting them to where they need to be. Now, one of the things that I've uh, discussed or written about as part of our program is how the addiction treatment industry is very complex. And I actually have some 
criticism of this industry that it's somewhat fractionized or fractionated, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot of treatment that where people will say we have a certain philosophy and that philosophy very often might conflict with another treatment center's philosophy. Yes. And this creates a lot of problems. So I imagine you're getting patients who have been to kind of structured treatment or residential treatment. Have you heard or had instances where patients are told vastly different things about what they need to be doing and what their recovery needs to be? I think that there's a few things that um, definitely stand out, and it's usually around medication and or abstinence-only programs. I would say 25% of the people that call me for counseling use marijuana and can't get into treatment centers, outpatient treatment, uh, like an intensive outpatient for a partial hospitalization because they're abstinence only. So that's one thing. Also, people struggling with it, with opiate addiction, uh, there's definitely a big divide between continuing care with medication management you know, something like Suboxone versus, again, abstinence only. Yeah, this is a huge problem, and it oftentimes uh, can serve as roadblocks to patients accessing care. We have a lot, of, a lot of patients in residential treatment who will be blocked from going to a sober living environment because they're on a certain medication. Right. Because that environment says that they don't support that. Well, even with um, attention deficit disorder medications, I've had, when I worked in residential, I've had patients that were not allowed in extended care programs because they were on medications for their ADHD. And I I understand, I understand the reasoning. I just don't think it's a one-size-fits-all approach for addiction. Yeah. A lot of these patients have very bona fide conditions, and those conditions deserve treatment. Right. I think that this is going to continue to change mm-hmm. in the country in, in with the goal of building more of a cohesive model for treating addiction instead of this fractionated model of different people's opinions and philosophies. I agree. I think until very recently it was, and I, and I still believe most most treatment centers are based in the twelve step model. And I, you know, I believe um, the twelve steps save a lot of lives. I mean, they there's a pretty high success rate if people are involved in some kind of support group. So, of the patients that seek your services for mm-hmm. therapy, are there certain patients that seem to respond well to a twelve step referral? So you're getting yes. them connected with meetings or a sponsor. What, what do you think about this? I find that those who are involved in the 12-step community are much more likely to stay sober. That's just what I've found. So I have a fair amount of people that have been in treatment and have been referred to me. I also have, have patients that have not been in treatment and are just doing 12-step in therapy and have remained sober. So the reason I think, I mean, there's many reasons, but... Things, the first things that come to mind when I think of why these people are staying sober with a 12-step community is they typically have some kind of humility. Um, that's huge. If you end up in NA or AA, there's usually some kind of desperation. You know, it's not the first place people want to go running to. 
in AA, they, they often talk about, you know, the gift of desperation. I think when people get to a point where they'll do anything to stay sober, they're much more likely to stay sober. Well, and that humility, is, we could call that like a change position. Yes. So they're at a place where they are ready and willing to look at things. Definitely. On a, on a deeper level. And I think those who are, are impressionable, and I mean this in a good way, also have a really good chance of remaining sober because when I say impressionable, I mean um, I often see patients that find folks in the recovery community who are living really successful, healthy lives, and uh, my patients believe that that can be them. They see the happiness that these people are experiencing as a result of, of remaining sober. Those that are more cynical and not as impressionable might have a tougher time letting their guard down and, and believing in, in a solution. So hope is also a big factor. So there's a lot of discussion in the addiction treatment world about uh, focusing on gender. Mm-hmm. So the difference between like a man's program and a women's program. What do you see in terms of, because I know you work with men and women clients, mm-hmm. um, what do you notice? I've done a lot of women's groups, and I've done a lot of men's groups, and I've seen both men and women individually, and there's a lot of similarities and there's a lot of differences. So one thing I've noticed about a lot of my male clients, specifically males coming out of treatment, is that treatment was the first time that they were either in any kind of therapy or um, were truly vulnerable with not only a therapist but with a group of peers. I think being in an environment where you can feel safe to be who you are, especially as a man, is extremely important in working through a substance use problem. So when I see them in therapy post-treatment, they're usually quite interested in continuing to open up about what's going on. And sometimes they don't feel safe yet talking to their spouse or their their family or their friends about it yet, but they felt safe with their previous therapist or maybe in a group. So what kind of uh, unique things do you notice in working with a woman client as compared to a man? I know that working with women incarcerated uh, who had substance abuse problems and working with women in residential treatment, um, they worry a lot about being disconnected from the relationships, you know, on the outside. Um, A lot of women that come to me post-treatment need a lot of help with learning how to be with themselves without, you know, the need to be in a relationship, specifically a romantic relationship. I I feel like a common theme working with women is, um, is around attachment and codependency. And now this isn't the case with all women, but... I think that they might be more likely to feel vulnerable, and um, I don't want to laugh, but um, there's plenty of men in the community that are open and willing to comfort them, you know, in 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 their vulnerable state, and that can be not a great route. And I think what they're really seeking is just, you know, comfort. Yeah, we see that all the time. Where, where people are, I mean, you assume early recovery is a very vulnerable position. Mm-hmm. And we want people to be good caretakers of themselves. Yes. And, but it takes a long time to change relationship patterns. It does. Um, 
but you know that's one of the things that I enjoy working on the most with my female clients is helping them develop a sense of self and you know they don't have the crutch of addiction anymore so it can it, it can be a lot of work but it's it's definitely worth it and something that I often tell men and women but I think of women more is you know the healthier are the healthier the person you're going to attract so you know give yourself some time and become more whole and you know, that's who you'll end up attracting. Sure. Like, Down att- the road. like attracts like. Yes, very much. So w- w- with the men relationships, it sounds mm-hmm. like a lot of the emphasis is on vulnerability and just seeing that therapy could offer them something. Yes. And for the women relationships, it tends to be more about looking at relational patterns and what kinds of things they need to do to preserve their recovery from alcoholism or addiction, Mm -hmm. falling back to old patterns will move them back to substance use one way or another. Right. And I'm glad you brought that up, too, because, um, you know, for both men and women, uh, if you get into a relationship too early and then something happens, you know, that's that's prime time for, for relapse. So if you can avoid that, it definitely helps. Like, relationships are just so hard as it is. Exactly. And so they require a lot of nurturing just to stay strong. Mm-hmm. Well, so we have a lot of people that are in a hospital setting, mm-hmm. and they're housed there. I would not necessarily categorize them as being in treatment. But So what I mean when I say that, in treatment implies that they have a sense of trust and collaboration with somebody, they want to talk about things, okay. and they want to work on things. Mm-hmm. And I, once you get a patient to be in that zone, they're quite wonderful patients. Yeah. So the, there must be a lot of this that you find, like just trying to help somebody be, quote, in treatment in your office. Right. I would say majority of people that reach out to me have had good experiences in in residential treatment. They want to continue that with someone they feel safe with. Another way of thinking about this would be an up referral compared to a down referral. So an up referral is somebody is living their life in outpatient land Mm -hmm. and they're struggling too much. They need some more support. So -hmm. they call a therapist to add something more. A down referral would be somebody is completing structured or residential care and wants to do what we would call aftercare. So less intense therapy moving forward that they could keep long term. Right. How long do people tend to work with you? You know, it varies. I would say with addiction treatment, quite a long time. I typically meet with patients weekly. If I can think of my caseload now, I think a lot of my referrals that are seeking help for addiction I've seen for over a year. Definitely not necessary. Uh, It all depends on where you are in your recovery process. And sometimes I might meet with them bi-weekly, you know, then we go down to monthly. And then if they're struggling, they come when, you know, they come in more regularly. But those are typically people that are more committed. You know, they really want to stay sober and they really believe in the benefit of therapy. I guess that connects back to our concept of the relationship heals. If they Very can much. build a long-standing relationship with you, they can keep their dialogue going and problem solve as problems arise. Yeah, and I'm glad that you brought that up because 
that's my favorite part of, of being a therapist is being able to be with them in those moments when, you know, life happens and, and they, they're not sure of themselves yet because they're, you know, they might be looking at life from a different lens in recovery and they're second guessing themselves, you know, um, they're trying to be better. Recovery is about maintaining the dialogue. I think people that get this wrong, they think recovery is just about not drinking anymore or not using drugs. And that seems to be something that can come with the disease. But if we can keep the dialogue living, Mm -hmm. patients can really thrive. Very much. There's a lot of talk about, you know, um, connection being the cure for addiction, just as disconnection is, you know, can be causal. I do find that the people that stay sober for the long term have a sober support network. They are connected. They have people to call when they're struggling. They have a relationship with their therapist wherein they can be honest if they're thinking about using or if they used, you know, or if they're having trouble handling what might seem to someone else as a very um, mundane problem. But to them, it's, it's not. This has been very enlightening. I'm very happy to have uh, Lindsay Melka uh, join us for the Recovery Arc podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, Lindsay. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Recovery Arc podcast. I'm Dr. Pat Phelan. If you're interested in learning more or working a weekly therapy program for yourself, sign up on our Recovery Arc site. You'll get 52 weeks of guided addiction content focusing on science, medications, therapy, peer support, and family recovery. Recovery Arc, blending science with strategy.